0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Villa News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, joined here today by Sive O'Shea. How are you, Sive?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, sheltering from the storm outside at the moment.
0: Yeah, the Isle of Man is getting battered by what is it, Storm Barra?
1: Yeah, Storm Barra, Storm Barra. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it, whatever it is, it's windy. We've got some uh, 65 mile an hour winds. It's uh, at the moment, so oh
0: goodness, yeah,
1: second storm in a week. So I'm hoping, you know, not all the trees blow down.
0: Now, so this is that this is very apropos. This is the time of year when many of us start to think of nice, warm places to go for a week or a month or two. And while many of us just uh, that remains an idle fantasy, some pros are able to uh, to act on that. So that's what we're going to talk about a bit today. Now, later on in the program, we've got Gavin Hoover, the American Olympian, who is the new uci track champions league champion uh, we're talking to him about uh, racing his bike around in circles at a quick speed but first Sive, you and i let's let's catch up about uh, some of these athletes going to warm sunny places now recently you uh, spoke to annamique van vluten right now she could be doing some training in 65 mile an hour winds in her native holland which makes for good Training, arguably, but uh maybe not so, so good on the head. But where is where is she now and why?
1: Yeah, well I mean the the Netherlands would certainly be very good, you know, resistance training and all of that. But um she said to me a few times, going out in that sort of weather, even when you're a professional, it's not particularly motivating. It's not just us normal souls that hate going out <laughs> in the the cold, dank, wet weather. Um, and so She's jetted off to Colombia this uh this winter, which is um a trip she's actually been doing the last few years. Um she's kind of she discovered Colombia when she was at Mitchelton Scott a few years ago. She had some Colombian teammates there in in the men's um squad. Uh and so she went over there, I think, for the first time in 2018. Um and she she loves it, um the the weather over there is far nicer than it is in, in <laughs> Europe at the moment. Um, and it's, yeah, th- there's a lot of riders that just that like to do this, these kind of off season warm weather training camps, because it's kind of good for the head when you have to go out on your bike, you don't have the option to kind of go nah and just close the front door <laughs> and stay inside. So, um, yeah, the Colombia's sort of become a, a nice, um, home away from home for us she's actually got quite a few friends there now um seen some pictures today she was out there with um one of the trek riders uh, or soon to be trek riders simon peo mm. who's also another kind of european who's sort of found a home away from home there um and yeah to be honest i kind of wish i was there
0: <laughs> you you <laughs> and me both sive it's you know it's like 20 degrees Fahrenheit this morning when I took my dogs out for a little trot here. And sunny, you know, there's no no uh, storm bars battering down. But yeah, a little, little warmth would be appreciated. Now, Colombia's had a, a lot of things going for it for bike racers. Uh, altitude is one of them. Uh, you can you know, sleep high and you can also climb your face off lots of steep climbs. And of course, you know, we know a lot of famous Colombians have uh, come out of those mountains. But for Anamika, you know, as you mentioned, there's, you know, the, Part of the the trip is for the legs, doing the doing the climbing, doing the kilometers. Uh, you know, parts for the physiology. I can hear that wind howling through your windows. My goodness!
1: <laughs> I promise my windows are closed.
0: <laughs> if you need to take shelter, Sive. If you need to take shelter, let us know.
1: <laughs> down, batten down the hatches. Yeah. If only I had some. <laughs>
0: But also for uh some of us for her head, and it's not just being in a sunny climb, but it's ex- exploring new cultures, which is something I appreciated. You know, often with team camps, it's an insulated experience where the, the pro team takes care of everything and there's little contact with the outside world aside from just going out into it to pedal. But um, reading some of your stories, it seems like she appreciates, you know, a chance to practice her Spanish and just getting out and enjoying the food and a, a different culture as well as a, a different climate.
1: Yeah, I think from, from speaking with her over the years, um, kind of feels like Van Vluten is really a a people person. She feeds off, you know, speaking with people and being with people. And one of the reasons she moved to Movistar this year was to meet some new people and kind of push herself a little bit out of her comfort zone with having to learn Spanish, but also kind of getting to know um, that different culture, you know, the Spanish sort of way of, of being um, more so than, you know, she she was with an Australian team before. And then before that she was with a a Dutch team and, you know, she spent many years with both those teams. So, you know, pushing herself out of her comfort zone um, and yeah, just learning about new cultures, which is uh, an opportunity that cycling um, and professional cycling gives you. And so it's kind of nice to see her, realizing that and kind of take grabbing that with both hands. And so that's what, yeah, these trips to Colombia are kind of about as well. Just putting herself kind of in a in an environment that she's not so used to. I mean, we don't really have any big cycling races um, in South America, full stop, let alone just Colombia. Um, so heading over there in the winter is, again, like it's an opportunity to go somewhere that, she wouldn't go during the season as well.
0: Yes, yes, it's a neat form of of adaptation, you know. With with training, if you do the same thing over and over, it's hard to get returns. But if you introduce a new type of stress, you can make new gains. It seems like she's doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things she said as well. Like the what you settle into, kind of that comfort zone, and it's so much harder to kind of motivate yourself and push yourself when everything's sort of the same all the time. You get into that rhythm and you kind of, you know exactly what you're doing. Um, I mean, even pushing yourself out of your comfort zone doesn't have to be something that's like terrifying. You don't have to do a bungee <laughs> jump off a bridge. <laughs> you know, it's uh, just changing things up. So it's something that you're not used to. And I think for, for pro athletes in particular, you know, it's good for them to, to change. And like moving teams um, is not kind of about not liking the team that you're on. But providing that um, new challenge and again, going back to Colombia, that's sort of what that that is about. It's a different challenge. It's something that she's she's getting more used to it now that she's this is the third year that she's um, she's done it. But it's um, yeah, it's, it's still different enough because, you know, most of the year they're in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, Spain um, to, to a slightly lesser extent. So, yeah, going to South America is just a completely different um, experience to the usual kind of calendar of things.
0: Yes, yes. You know, rattling off some of those European countries to Anna and many racers, that's just the circuit. That's the day job. To many Americans, that sounds very exotic and and, uh, (laughs) vacation-like or holiday-like, as you would say. But yes, speaking of doing something completely different, you spoke with Loretta Hansen recently, who is not in Colombia. She did not go to Mexico. She went uh, the other direction.
1: Yeah, she's sort of done the other extreme. So whereas Anna Mink van Vluten has kind of mm. gone off in search of southern hemisphere sunshine. Um, yeah, Loretta Hansen has gone northwards and she went to, to Norway and she, off in search of the, um, the northern lights which is quite a different and interesting experience. Um, she went with her uh, compatriot, not her teammate, because they're in different teams, but her compatriot, Sarah Roy. Um, I think they lived together in Girona. Um, they're both Australian, um, and they weren't really sure if they were going to be able to get home, because Australia, their borders have been a bit of a magical mystery tour over <laughs> the last year. Yeah. Um, and so even for native Australians, trying to figure out how to get home, let alone um, you know, vacation, people on vacation. Uh, you know, it's it's been very hard to to get to Australia. So she and Sarah Roy decided to go off on this adventure to to Norway. Um um again, but that was sort of a similar thing with Van and It was about kind of meeting people and ch- just chatting away with people, you know, they they just bumped into loads of people who were off going to see the Northern Lights as well. And they had this kind of shared bonding experience and there was nothing about cycling. It was all just kind of that communal thing of being out in the nature and laughing at each other because they were stumbling over all the ice in Norway as well, which is a very, very different experience to kind of walking down a golden sandy beach, you know, the, uh, uh, well, I would say in celsius 30 35 40 degrees i don't know what that is in in fahrenheit Hot weather. My, yeah
0: 90 plus
1: yeah, yes like, yeah um warm yes. uh, whereas yeah it's kind of more more down towards the zero in the in norway but again it was about that kind of escapism and just resetting the clock at the end of a season kind of just mentally winding down which after a year of You know, just consistent racing and it's draining on the system, especially for riders like Loretta Hansen, Sarah Roy, who haven't been able to go home um, during the year, unlike, um, you know, the European riders who can just probably get in their car or get on the train and get home. Um, You know, getting to Australia is a challenge within itself. It's, you know, normally it's two flights. Down to get to, to Australia and then maybe three depending on where they live within Australia as well so um yeah the the season is long and it can be quite mentally draining when when you cu- don't have those little bits of family contact yeah. during the year and right. so for, for Loretta Hansen that kind of trip to, to Norway was just this yeah, it was just this nice experience that she wasn't sure if she would get home. So this was kind of she was putting herself into this, and this was her kind of off-season relaxation. Thankfully, she has been able to get home. She was very lucky, and she so she is back in Australia now, and being able to enjoy some warm weather and nice. spend time with her her family and kind of soak that up before next year starts
0: getting the best of both hemispheres or
1: exactly yeah both worlds
0: yeah that's pretty cool that she was able to do that with just uh you know the another friend and another fellow writer um you know outside the the construct of a team you know so right now we've got Enios grenadiers who are at their winter training camp in mass in majorca also not a not a bad place to be uh, but it's more of like the traditional thing like with the, the team organized Everybody stays in the same hotel and I'm sure there's there's some comfort to that that rhythm there and you know some bonding you get with old teammates and new teammates.
1: Yeah, these sort of uh December training camps, you know, um quick step are going to Calpe as well in the next couple of weeks. Um, they're, they're generally the first opportunity to really sit down with the team and start planning things out. And so like they're they're all they're more about logistics than actual training um and kind of getting the they do some some good rides and some solid rides but it's all about kind of getting the foundations for the next season kind of built
0: yeah the last rider you spoke with or another rider you spoke with uh mika kroger who was going to human powered health the team that was rally this year she's going there next year am i saying her name correctly
1: yeah, or Mika Kruger, I Kruger. think.
0: And and what is her winter holiday training program?
1: Well, she's she's kind of gone for a slightly different vibe and not going on vacation at all. And she stayed local at home and just, you know, chilled out. She's actually doing it, um, plugging through a university course at the moment. So she's been kind of trying to to do that. So her off-season has kind of been more about um, studying. Um, she also caught covid not long after mm. finishing her season so she had to spend um just over a week in in isolation which is mostly spent studying but yeah she she was quite interesting because she said that she didn't really know what to do with a holiday like she's not really a she does like kind of going out way and seeing things but it's it's more about kind of like seeing sights or going hiking and she can't really do the chill relaxation holiday she decided just not to not to do a a vacation this winter at all just kind of chill out at home which is i kind of guess like it's a nice thing to do as well just you don't spend much time at home and so it's just nice to go do you know what i'm not going anywhere
0: yeah yeah that's interesting like when you're when you're full gas on studies and full gas on racing maybe just being full gas on one thing is a relative holiday of sorts how about yourself, Si? If you have any holidays lined up for coming into the Christmas season?
1: <laughs> if only. I mean, I've got I've got some time off, but uh, I think I'll be doing a a bit of a Mika Kruger and staying at home and just enjoying being at a kind of a nice, easy pace. Uh, living in the Alaman, it's kind of hard, like getting places. We always have to take more than one flight. So even though I'm pretty close to mainland Europe, getting places is difficult, and the COVID uh pandemic has really um scuppered our uh <laughs> our ways off the island. And this storm that we've currently got going on does not help because uh every time we get a big storm like this the boats are cancelled. So anybody who lives on the Man or anybody who's used to living on a on a small island will be well used to going Ah, Twindy. I'm stuck wherever I am, whether that be <laughs> where you live or not where you live. Um, it's, uh, yeah, L- living on an island is is brilliant, but it's a, it's a challenge sometimes.
0: Well, Sai, for those of us who are stuck at home, we very much appreciate being able to travel vicariously through your writing and the photography you provide, whether that's uh, Meek in Colombia or Loretta Hansen headed to Norway. So thanks for... Thanks for all that work and letting us travel vicariously with you.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. It was nice to talk about somewhere that's sunnier than where I am.
0: <laughs> Thanks, I've. Cheers. And now I am happy to welcome on to the Velo News podcast, Tokyo Olympian and UCI track Champions League champion, Gavin Hoover. Gavin, how are you, sir?
2: yeah good thanks for having me excited to be here
0: yeah great to see you and now your 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 whirlwind travel continues and we find you in Portugal correct
2: mm-hmm. yeah just hanging out enjoying the city
0: yeah good good on you it's been a the crazy COVID year continues even uh, you know affecting racing and travel plans and um, for th- for those of our listeners who aren't up to speed on track champions. League, I'm hoping we can dive into that format and you you know, that took you around the world um, and you won the endurance portion of that. There were four titles. So I'm hoping you can you know, explain to our listeners kind of the, the format of the racing and, and how that differs from, you know, the track racing, for instance, that you did at the uh, Tokyo Olympics. So again, there's, there's four types, there are, you know, there's men's sprints, women's sprint, men's endurance, uh, women's endurance. Uh, you you won the men's endurance, which consisted of two races. So could you explain for listeners how the elimination and the scratch races worked at the UCI Track Champions League?
2: Yeah, um, you know I think the UCI has worked hard to kind of create an event that's really TV friendly and is is friendly to people that don't know track cycling necessarily. Um, so they shortened the distance of the scratch race for us as just 20 laps. Normally a kind of UCI world cup world championship scratches 60 laps um which ended up meaning it just went really fast from the gun and, and no one really did much besides sprint um and then traditional traditional elimination race rules every other lap pull one rider down to the final two and then you sprint for the win
0: how did that affect your gearing
2: i went bigger um and i think for the first one i was like had about the same gear that I'd, I'd ridden at the world championships, which was kind of big anyway. And was like, oh, that should, that should be enough. And then I did the first one was like, oh, no, I'm going to need to go a bit bigger than that. And I think it just kind of, everyone in the race kept going bigger and bigger and bigger. And by London, we had some, some
0: ridiculous gears on. So, so give us some numbers. What sort of chain ring and cog are you looking at?
2: Uh, for London, I had on a, a 66-16. So it's like 112 <laughs> inches.
0: Yeah, that's enormous.
2: It's about what we were team proceeding on before, okay. honestly. Okay. so <laughs> It's big gear. Uh,
0: now, initially there was supposed to be five rounds of the track champions. So they get started in Majorca, then went to Lithuania. Uh, there was a doubleheader in London this past weekend, Friday night, Saturday night. And then the plan was to be Tel Aviv. Uh, unfortunately, that was canceled due to uh, covid Restrictions I was watching as many were on a GCN app and and then the track Champions League cycling app, which was cool being able to see real-time power and heart rate and speed and cadence and all that That was super cool. And it seemed like they did a great job putting on a show uh, in terms of the you know, like What looked to me like a laser light show and fireworks behind the podiums and and music and all this what was how did how did that presentation as a racer compare to, like, uh, like you say, you know, a World Cup or World Champions that you've done many of?
2: I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the bigger competitions, traditionally UCI competitions, like, feel pretty sterile. Um, you walk in, there's no music. Maybe there's like one five second theme song that plays every every twenty minutes for uh-huh. you know the race intro, and you just kind of sit in fluorescent light and have no idea what time of the day it is for like nine hours. And this was super cool. they you know, like I think they realized they had the whole track to kind of use as a projection surface and had a really great light show started off, kind of got everyone excited. And, um, and then doing the race, like the turnarounds were so quick, kind of everything was always happening. And in between it was, you know, there was music going, there was lights happening and it kind of definitely kept the energy up a bit for everyone racing.
0: Would you prefer to do that type of racing going forward over the, a traditional track program of like an an all day thing with, you know, multiple rounds of qualifiers and, and longer events?
2: I think so. (laughs) Even, even if you look at, um, the Omnium the last two years, they've kind of pushed to, to run it all in one session over kind of two and a half hours instead of over, you know, it used to be two days and then it was two sessions and, and now they're trying to get it done and, one set and i think that's a better event for for everyone racing and and especially for spectators because before you'd come in you know if you just came to the evening session you had no idea who was leading you had no idea what had happened And, and i think being able to give people something where they can sit there and see the entire event in two hours um is a much better format and it's i think it's more fun to race too
0: cool yeah, I liked having the continuity of a short, a relatively short series where you can follow the progression of you know, a relatively small number of riders. Um, you know, so for instance, you started off the first round. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, in third place, right behind mm-hmm. uh, Corbin Strong, of Canada, and then you know made your way up to second, and then so like, you know, there was like a, a stage race almost of of track riding going on.
2: Yeah, and they. I think they did a good job as well of kind of like letting us take the helmets off, letting us take the glasses off, like be a, you know, I think they did a good job of creating some personality and, you know, I, like I spent a lot of time with Corbin, we were in my together and, you know, that felt like, okay, there's actually two of us really competing for something here, not just like faceless cyclists getting on a bike and just racing.
0: Yes, and you did spend some quality time with Corbin and a number of others. You guys rented a house there in Majorca now I'm, I'm curious tell us about how that came about and how much of the the logistics and support come from uh, sponsors or you know the, your respective national federations, and how much is it uh, you guys and gals just piecing stuff together on your own? Yeah, I'd
2: say it's probably 50 50 maybe. Um, originally like the the race organization kind of handled everything around the race days, like had shuttles for us, had hotel sorted and booked. Um, but then travel in between was completely on us, like figure out your own flights, figure out your own logistics. And then where you were going to stay was, was kind of on you as well. Um, so, you know, for those of us that had like flown from North America, uh, didn't really make sense to try and go home for, for a couple of weeks in between. So we just figured out a place to, to stay in Europe and stay in Majorca and train for
0: a couple of weeks there. Yes, yeah, so that was in between the Majorca setup and the race in Lithuania. And normally Majorca is lovely, sunshiny, great, you know, you can go flat, you can climb, but the best laid plans, right? So you ended up, instead of having nothing but sunshine, you had a fair amount of rain and one set of rollers between seven riders.
2: Yeah, yeah, I got a you know finally kind of got a nice weekend in there and made the most of it. Went and did all the big climbs, rode the or the good roads. Um, but there was definitely a bit of bit of coordination of like, okay, well, I'm going to ride the rollers from eight thirty to nine thirty, and then you can have them back. But then I want to do a second session later today. <laughs> um, so it took a bit of bit of forethought.
0: Now, how does living with someone affect how you race against them? You know, often you know, for road teams, a uh, living together with a, a bunch of men or women for the, the same team is pretty traditional this time of year. The idea to be to bond with your teammates and then go race against others. Here you were racing, you were living with your competition. How did that, how did that affect the competition? I know like for instance, you know, Corbin flatted one day and you went and brought him a wheel helping the guy out. But how about once, once race was underway, would you be more sympathetic to like working together or is it, uh, all bets are off. He's he and the others are competitors.
2: I did remind him before the start when I gave him the wheel, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, if it's the same two in the elimination again, like, remember whose wheel you're on. Um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, the races are short enough and, and kind of fast enough anyway that like, you can't really work together on the track a ton to begin with. Um, you know, like you definitely let someone in a bit more if you know them. And, and I think the two of us were kind of, you just basically don't go out of your way to flick the other person. If you, if you're friends and you know each other and, you know, he let me in a few times, let me out a few times in the elimination race. And, and you've got to go out of your way to, to help people like that, but just definitely know like racing together or racing as friends
0: another thing I appreciated as a spectator about the champions league format versus, you know, say the, uh, you know, Olympic Omnium, you know, so this year there was what, four events in Omnium. Yeah. Um, you know, two are effectively, at least from my ignorant perspective, points races, like the, both the tempo and points where you're having to keep, mm-hmm. keep tally of, you know, every, every lap, every 10 laps, people are racking up points. People are losing points. I have a hard time, with my heart rate at a normal level, not at 185 beats per minute, trying to do the math. How, how are you able to keep track in your, when you're racing as far as like what, what the math is, or is it more just a sense of who's, who's just ahead, who's just behind?
2: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the areas I excel. Um, and I kind of can, kind of can keep it together. And, and it helps me, especially at the end of a race. Um, a lot of the times you have a scoreboard as well, and you can kind of look up in bet- in the middle of the race and, and get a rough idea of, if not, you know, if you can't see the exact points, you can kind of see like, okay, there's a name, there's a flag. I think that's that. And then it's something like the Olympics. you will also have a coach who can kind of try and communicate with you. And then you take what you've remembered happening, what, can kind of see on the scoreboard and, and what the coach is yelling at you and like build a complete picture with
0: that is, uh, did you miss not having a coach there for the champions league for communication like that or for, for logistics? I mean, what would, if you were to build the, you know, the perfect race series, like what would it, what would it look like pulling elements from different places?
2: Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, I will say, like, doing all my own flights and, and getting around Europe and traveling with bike box for a month, like, you definitely remember how much support you get on the national team, even just from a logistics perspective of, like, show up at the airport, and there's a the flight booked, and you don't have to worry about it. But it was also, you know, I don't think anyone really had support staff, like, no no countries brought full programs, no, no one had a coach, no one had a mechanic, um, and it was kind of a nice change of pace, like, you know, I know how to work on my bike. I've been doing it since I was a kid. Like it was nice to just kind of get back to that and be like, okay, I'm going to come up with my own race strategy. I'm going to have my own plan. I'm going to change my own gears. Um, and it adds its own type of stress, but it also kind of takes some away and, and feels a little bit more pure to me. Um, and I think like, I kind of hope it stays that way. Honestly, I think if you start having like the Germans show up with three mechanics and two coaches and a, and a videographer. And, you know, there's a couple Americans with nothing Then I think the series gets really unbalanced really quickly. Um, so I kind of hope that everyone stays a bit more relaxed with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a level playing field. One thing I appreciated looking at your photo galleries and for listeners who haven't seen those, you should go check them out on villainews.com a racer's view by Gavin Hover, both doing his own photography and doing some writing, showing us what it's like behind the scenes. So one thing I appreciated about that was seeing, yeah, the behind the scenes stuff, such as, you know, putting bikes together before or after in the wee hours of the morning, you know, some people are still, and that, I've just found that very relatable. And I think a lot of our, readers did also like oh yeah i could i know what it's like to do a race and then put my bike in the back of a car or a vehicle or I have to break it down into a box and the, the, you know like these elite world's best best racers are staying there still and you know some wearing their skin suits but with tennis shoes on doing doing the work that comes after the the big show of schlepping bikes around and loading bikes in the loading dock at one in the morning or whatever
2: yeah i think people underestimated a bit you know i had after I after I won on on Sunday night, I kind of did the podium presentation, did a bunch of media, did the whole thing, and and finally kind of got back to my phone and had like 50 texts and a whole thing, and and was blowing up, and I was like, I gotta, it's like 11:30, but I still gotta pack my bike and drag it out to the shuttle and get out of here, man. Like, I want to reply to everyone, but but just hold on a second. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes people you know there's this idea that like oh you're an elite athlete you just show up and and race your bike and everything else is handled and you're like no no I'm, i've am i just raced all day and done media done all this other stuff but now at you know midnight i gotta pack my bike
0: yeah just speaking with alan Lim here the uh founder of scratch who loves doing science stuff with athletes and alan had on a uh a Super Sapiens glucose monitor, and he, you know, he's been a, a long prop- proponent of, uh, you know, a well rested athlete is a is a fast athlete, and now he's with the Super Sapiens thing. He was saying he could quantify how, in blood sugar levels, which I found to be surprising how well rested someone was or was not, and uh, and I found your some of your sleep strategies to be interesting, like getting into my Major- to Majorca or, or I'm sorry, getting into Lithuania. In the wee hours of the morning, and being like, "Okay, I need to prioritize sleep. I'll figure figure out everything else after I'm getting eight hours, and then I'll wake up and deal with whatever." And I get you know, energy con- energy uh, conservation on the bike during the races is a thing you have to be aware of, and you know, saving it up. And it seems like that extends well off the bike, also.
2: Yeah, I think you know, in a perfect world, like World Championships, Olympics, you show up with enough time to kind of not have those factors you know you show up ideally with enough time to kind of deal with jet lag and figure out where the food is and, right. and where all that stuff is and and with this series it was definitely a little bit like you just had to be a bit more flexible um and i think it ended up rewarding the people that were also willing to do that like okay i know you know this is the track time to ride in the morning but it's for 4 a.m right now and i just got here like getting on the track in three hours isn't going to do anything for me. I just need to take some sleep. Um, sure. I think like the, the people that knew when to make those calls ended up doing the best.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Olympics, tell us about that. The uh, Tokyo Olympics, your, your first time there, congratulations on representing the USA there. How was yeah, that similar you. or different to your expectations in terms of, you know, the Olympics is obviously a, a big monumental thing. Um, and quite a show and then COVID changed at least the, uh, the, 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 crowd perspective. Um, but what was it like to, to participate? What, what was the highlight and what was different for you than, than expected?
2: Yeah, it's definitely, um, a, you know, it's been, a, obviously been a big, big experience for me, kind of like a, definitely a bit of a turning point in my life. I think, um, it, for me, the highlight for sure was just like, you know, we had had this whole gear prepare prepare. And I was like, oh, I, I've trained really hard here. Um, and then kind of like a month, month and a half before the Olympics, we started training even harder. And I was like, man, this is really, I didn't realize this was what was going to happen and kind of really, you know, I thought went to like the edge of what I was capable of on, on so many levels. Um, and realizing that you know that's kind of what everyone does, and and why the Olympics is special is because you show up and everyone's committed their entire being to doing the best they can on a on a specific day, and you get to to race each other and and see who is the best. Um, being in that and and really feeling like you were one of the best in the world, racing the best in the world, was was super special, um, and just the you know it was the most respectful by grace I've ever been in. And the kind of purity of competition there was, was really cool. I think, you know, what was kind of different was (laughs) like, it's also just a bike race and it gets built up so much and sold to you as a, as an athlete and especially as a young athlete so much as this kind of life-changing thing that is worth all this work and sacrifice and, and all these things. And I think it is, but I think it's also really important that like you're doing it because it's what you want to do, not because it's. Someone's told you it, it does these things for you in your life. Um, and I think everyone kind of, you know, the, the kind of post-Olympic slump is very real. And I think a lot of that is just kind of uh, that it's hard to keep in perspective that, like, it's just a bike race. And if you if you build it up too much, like you go there and you expect it to be something and then you just race your bike and you're like, well, hold on a minute here. Like, I thought there was going to be, you know, someone was going to come down and, and give me something that no one else you know had ever seen um and you know i like that was kind of the positive and, and also kind of the negative for me
0: uh-huh uh-huh like there were angels to not descend from the sky and sing to you and you went forth with a, you know brand new self-knowledge and elevated ftp and yeah it was no
2: you're kind of the same person you know
0: yeah and then contrast that to the you know the champions league where it's bike racing and uh without i don't want to say without pressure but uh, is it correct to assume that you felt much less pressure <laughs> racing the champions league and that seemed to be the vibe among other athletes where you could uh, just be more relaxed and appreciate and I still race hard clearly but uh, just appreciate being in the moment and not having it not be this giant built-up thing with four and five years of expectation laid on you
2: yeah you know i think the the good thing for me, at least about the Olympics, I mean, I no wouldn't say it like that. It's been a lot of good things. Um, one of the, one of the big positives was kind of like taking away all the pressure and, and realizing that I really just like racing my bike. And I like racing my bike at any level, you know, it doesn't have to be the Olympic games to be enjoyable. So then just going and, and getting to race again was super fun and, and getting to race again in a setting where, yeah, there isn't this weight of expectation and, and people aren't. You know, I never felt like anyone was going to do something dangerous in the race because they, you know, thought that they had to or that it was worth it. Or, you know, I thought everyone was really like just enjoying being there and enjoying racing their bikes and um, led to just kind of being, you know, really friendly and really fun.
0: Now, you said picking up on the someone not doing something dangerous, you said the Olympics were uh, was the most respectful race you've, you've done or, or, or set of races. Was that like, um, between other athletes or I may just, just contrast those two statements for me that if you've got, if someone has in their minds idea, okay, I've got, you know, this is my one chance ever to do this. So I might try to squeeze into a space where there might not be enough space, um, versus athletes being respectful to each other.
2: Yeah. I think the Olympics, the Olympics felt very safe. Um, I think, you know, I, you could kind of, especially in the Omnium, you started those races and it felt like everyone had kind of looked at each other and gone, okay, we're all the best in the world here. And there's no one that doesn't know what they're doing. And there's no one that isn't safe. And there's no, like, there's no reason for us to, to be aggressive with each other. Like let's race to win, but let's also just acknowledge like that we're all here. You know, I, then I think maybe the middle ground contrast was, you know, I did the world championships kind of a month and a half ago and the post Olympics world is always like people are bringing in new riders. People are bringing in development programs. Um, and that definitely there was a few times where, you know, people, there's a world title on the line. Fair enough. And and people are putting their wheels places where they maybe shouldn't be. They're trying to, it's just more aggressive. There's more kind of people are chopping around. People are fighting for wheels harder. Um, and I get it, but, you know, at the same time, sometimes you're just like, hey, can we all just calm, just calm down a little bit? Like, we can still race hard without having to, to do this.
0: Sure, sure. makes sense. Let's change gears now, if we could, to bikes that do change gears. Uh, you and I spoke uh, before the Champions League started about the Into the Lion's Den criterium that Legion of Los Angeles was putting on in Sacramento, and you were... Or at least we're interested in going out and doing that race, which is a a new format of sorts. In that, instead of trade teams being represented, uh, cities and regions were represented in on jerseys. And you know, I noticed for for some road teams that was uh, a bit different because they have sponsors who pay them to wear the logo across the chest. And uh, changing jerseys is is odd. You've worn a, a number of different jerseys, so like the. Uh, Pictures from the Champions League. You had a a pretty cool Captain America looking suit with a try try hard. Is that what that said across the jersey?
2: Yeah. So we, I think one of the things Champions League did did really well was they gave us the opportunity to sell logo placement on the kit personally. So it was like I only found out on you know maybe like a Monday that I was doing it, and we had to have sponsors in by that Friday. So it was kind of a just see who you could place a phone call with and. Try and solicit a couple bucks, um, but I think in the future, like that'll be a a big thing that is kind of really helpful to the athletes to, you know, try and also create value that isn't solely based on on your results in those races.
0: Sure, I know if it's just you know a single athlete selling sponsorship, it seems like the economies of scale can work out pretty well there, and you're not trying to sell like an eos grenadiers type budget to a sponsor like no it's just just me take care of me and i'll take (laughs) care of you
2: (laughs) yeah and i think you know um hopefully with you know streaming on gcn and and eurosport and, and all these things like would hope that 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 logo starts to be worth enough that it is meaningful for the athletes as well
0: yeah so you know back to the into the lion's den format um you know what's looking forward to next year you know what's your interest level in racing criteriums and and will does the format come into the uh, you know your discussion or i'm sorry like your decision making process for you know racing events where you can have your own sponsor versus like a a city specific team the way into the lions didn't had it set up
2: you know i think like i've you know, obviously, like from LA, I've been I've been teammates with Corey before. I've known Justin since I was like twelve, maybe. Um, and I I get what they're trying to do, and I really admire it. I'm like, you need I think cycling needs something where you can identify with riders and with teams more than a just a random brand name. Um, and I think that's really important, especially in the U.S. to to kind of grow the sport at all, as you can't be like. I mean, you know, kind of quick step is always the one that pops into my head and and that has recognition as a name, but you're also like, really a flooring company is the number one cycling, sport? you know, whatever it is. And I think if you could kind of shift that to, to a model that's closer to like the NBA or the NFL or where there's actual franchises, it would be really good. The the flip side, you know, I think for me as well, is like, you do have sponsors and and they pay you and they support you and they help you do these races um there's a middle ground somewhere because it's it's so hard to you know and I've had this problem just moving from like the national team to my road team and, and back to the national team if they're like hey we don't pay you to to wear that product or ride that bike like we prefer if you didn't promote it I'm like yeah I understand like <laughs> my job is to promote your product and and that isn't you know I'm riding this bike that's different and that's not what you're paying me to do um I hope somewhere in there, there's a middle ground where you could kind of race on a, you know, you could have a team name and, and maybe similar to what the Champions League has done. There's there's places for individual riders to print their sponsors and still represent the, the people that are kind of helping them and making their, you know, their own version possible.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned Corey and Justin. Those are, of course, the the Williams brothers, the, the founders of Legion of Los Angeles team. And uh, also the gentleman behind the into the lion's den criterium which was just held on halloween and uh, perhaps could be a uh, template for racing into next year so speaking of next year i know you're in portugal you're looking at uh, another one or two european track races but what is what is the 2022 gavin hoover calendar hold
2: uh, it's definitely a bit up in the air at the minute still um I don't actually have a road contract for 22. I'm just kind of tried to talk to people after the Olympics. And, you know, I think I just kind of with COVID in the U S and and with the focus I put on, on track to get to the Olympics in the last two years, like I didn't have a, I think people wanted kind of more experience um, on the road and, and a little more to look to. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping maybe champions league pushes that conversation a little bit for me as well. And see if there's a door that opens. Um, and I'd I'd like to still race on the road and I'm excited to, you know, hopefully still race on the road. But I think without that right now, there's a, there's also an opportunity for me to really focus on the track. And I think that's where I'm kind of better anyway. Um, so, you know, I think that means like there's the kind of nation's cup um, DCI races that are replacing the world cup season that starts in in the spring and I'll do that and then I'll try and, you know, kind of base in Europe through the summer and, and race some of the six days in Italy and race some European Grand Prix and focus on on getting European race experience at a, at a high level to, you know, be able to continue competing with these guys. Um, and then I think until kind of Paris 24, like my main priority is, is trying to get some rainbow bands on the track and, and that'll be the focus for sure for next year.
0: All right well best of luck to you in that and I certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with us here on the News podcast and to uh, contribute your photography and words from you know inside the bike racing I hope we can continue that going forward but uh, for now we'll leave it there Gavin Hoover winner of the inaugural UCI Track Champions League thanks very much sir. Yeah, thank you. All right, folks, that will do it for us this week. I am your host, Ben Delaney, and I thank you for listening to the VeloNews Podcast.